reasons why you and I need God's guidance. There are two reasons that are given here, and I want to share those with you. Then I want to move to this. I want to talk to you about four myths concerning God's will. In other words, four things that aren't true that a lot of us believe. Four things that are not true that a lot of us believe that have an effect on the choices that we make and the way we approach this whole subject matter of the Lord's will. And then at the end, I want to share just a brief challenge with you. Let's jump in here and begin by looking at the text. This is in James chapter 4. We're going to be looking in verses 13 through 17. It says this, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So now there's the passage. Now out of that passage, let me jump into this because I want to share with you two reasons that are given here. Two reasons why you and I need God's guidance. Number one, you need his guidance because we can't predict the future. We can't predict the future. Let me go back now to these first couple of verses in verses 13 and 14. He says, now listen, you who say... Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Now, look at what's happening. Because he's talking to an individual who has already planned out the next year of their lives. They know exactly um, when they're going to go on this trip they're going to take. They're going to leave tomorrow or today. One of these two days they're going to leave. They're going to be gone a year. They've already got it planned out. They know where they're going. They're going to go either to, either to this city or that one. We've got it narrowed down to these two cities. I'm going to be going there. And what are you going to be going for? What's your purpose? Well, I'm going to do business there in that city, and I'm going to be there for a year, and my goal is to make money, and that's my plan. So for the next year, I'm squared away. I've got it all figured out. Now, there's a problem. And in verse 14, he shares with this hypothetical individual, what the problem with that is. Here's the problem. In verse 14, he says, Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. In other words, here you are making plans for your life and you've got the next year all squared away and you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow let alone the next year. See, and therein lies the problem because you've made a decision, you left God out of the decision-making process, you've planned it all out, and the very person that had the ability or the power to know the future and to tell you and to guide you through that minefield, if you will, you've left out completely. And there's the fallacy because you don't know. You don't even know if you're going to be alive tomorrow. He said, your life is nothing but a mist. You know, we've lost a lot of people in our church over the years that I've been here, people that have passed away. And we, we know that for a fact that our lives are just that. It's a mist. It comes for a short while and then it's gone. And you and I have no understanding of when that will take place. He said, so the, the whole logic, 
of you and I trying to make decisions based on the future or for the future based on what we know. He said, you don't know anything. And that's the problem with trying to make plans and leaving God out of the picture. Years ago, in one of my previous ministries of churches that I was in, there was a gentleman named Jim. We'll call him Jim. That's not his name. But he and his wife, Betty, we'll call her Betty. I do that to protect the guilty, so I don't share their names. But uh, Jim and Betty. Uh, Jim was probably in his early 40s, I'm guessing. And had done pretty well in life, had, was doing well at his job. And he and his wife were at the point in their life now where they were making a decision to build their dream home. And they had already gotten the architect and the blueprints and planned it all out. And it was a big home. He had planned on having a home that they could retire in. The kids could come and grandkids and so forth. You know how it is. Um, when we get to that stage in life, we do the same thing sometimes. But he had made this uh, this goal, this plan, that they had it all planned out. It was going to be a stretch financially, but they were going to do it anyway. He went to a men's function that we had there at the church, and the pastor was preaching and teaching on some stuff. And, it, and the Spirit of God just sort of began to work on Jim and began to convict him of some things. And he goes home and he tells his wife, Betty, that I don't think we ought to do this. I just feel in my spirit that, that it's the wrong thing to do. It's the wrong decision for us to make at this point in our life. And we're, I just don't want to do it. Now, naturally, she was disappointed and upset, but they decided together they wouldn't do that. Now, you fast forward about seven years, maybe, and all of a sudden, Jim is diagnosed with what I, if I remember this correctly, Lou Gehrig's disease or something similar to it. And he went downhill very quickly. Now, he's still in his 40s. And he goes downhill very quickly. And he um, finds himself a few years later in a wheelchair. His muscles are deteriorating. He can't move. He can't work. His wife has to take care of him. And he has to be lifted and moved and all of the sort of things we know from past experience with loved ones. That lasted about 10 years before he finally died. And I have thought about this over the years. And I thought to myself, what if Jim and Betty had built their dream home? What if they'd gone ahead and proceeded with their plans and, and disregarded the moving of the Spirit of God in their lives to tell them, no, don't do this? And they had moved ahead and gone forward with this. And now their main breadwinner, the guy with the nice job and the guy with the income, is no longer there or even able to, to do this. Where would she be now? See, the problem she would have been in. Now, see, again... God revealed to him through his spirit not to do this because God is saying, I know the future. You see, I know what's coming. I know what lies ahead for you. So why would you make plans and leave me out of that? Because I'm the only one that does know what's coming. And through my spirit, I can guide and direct you and lead you through the minefields of life. But you've got to come to me and you've got to ask me. You've got to be seeking that. And so many times we jump ahead with our plans, our decisions, our goals for our lives, and we don't ever stop to ask God. Now, here's the second. Let me, I'm going to move a little quickly here today. But here's the second reason why we need God's guidance in our lives, and that is this. Because our plans usually result in sinful decisions. Our plans, if left to ourselves, will result in sinful decisions a lot of the time. Now, not always. But more often than we think. Look at verse 16. 
He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Now notice the word arrogant, because that gives you a clue as to why he's saying this. He said, you are so arrogant that you're making plans for yourselves that put you in a good position. They give you what you think you want and need. You're thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about anybody else or anything else. And you've made all these plans. And what you're going to find is because you've manipulated people, you put yourself first, and you haven't re, uh, had any regard for what the Lord would have you to do, he's, he's saying it's going to blow up in your face. And all of this is just evil in the eyes of God. For us as Christians, when it comes to understanding the will of God, here's the way it usually works for us. Again, not all the time, but in a lot of cases, this is what it looks like. We make our plans, we make our decisions, we set our goals, and we have it all mapped out. And then, because we're Christians, and we know in our hearts we ought to do this, we go and we pray. Dear God, please bless our plans. And that's the way it usually works. And God sits back and says, no, you made them, you live with them. And sometimes we find, unfortunately, too late that what we've decided to do is the wrong thing because we didn't stop to consult the one that knew the future to begin with. A lot of people, a lot of people don't really want to know what God wants. You see, if I know what he wants, if I know what God is leading me to do, if I listen to that, then in a sense I'm, I'm kind of obligated. I know what you want, but I'm trying to put it in the back of my mind. I know what you want, and I, and I don't like it, so I want to disregard it, and I want to move ahead with my plan. So, yeah, I, I didn't ask. I didn't seek. I didn't want to know because, you see, I had my mind already made up. This is why in verse 17 it says this. Listen. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Oh my goodness, how many times has this happened to you and me? We know in our hearts what it is that God wants. We know what the will of God is. We don't really need to ask because God in His Spirit has already told us. And yet we're trying to bull our way through this and push our will upon God. And we just move forward and it turns into a big mess. And because of that, we know what to do and we didn't do it. And God says, no, you've sinned. What did I do wrong? Well, it's a sin of omission. This is the biggest area of struggle for believers. It's not that you're going to go out and commit adultery. It's not that you're going to go out and steal something. It's not that you're going to kill somebody. The biggest area of struggle for believers is in not doing what God wants us to do. See, it's a sin of omission, not commission. And that's what he's talking about here. He said, because of your sinful desires and your sinful way of thinking, you're making decisions that are going to lead to sinful consequences. It's just the way life is. And he's saying there's another way of doing it. Here's the biblical approach. And again, there's not a lot said here, just one little verse. But James is trying to get you to understand that it's not the details he's worried about. He just wants you to understand the process, the overall process, that this is how you do it. It's found here in verse 15. He says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. 
Now, understand something, okay? God is not against planning, okay? Because all through the, the Bible, we're told it is commended that you first count the cost before you do something, that you think it through, that, that, you know, that you don't just rush into things, you plan things. That's not what God is against. That's not the problem here. It's not that you planned, it's that you left God out of it. See, that's the problem. And so it's not a, a, a situation of whether I plan or I don't plan. It's a situation of saying, if it is the Lord's will, and it's my responsibility to seek that, if it is the Lord's will, then here's what I have in mind. Here's what I'd like to do. And we keep leaving him out. You know, we'll throw out fleeces. How many times have you ever thrown out a fleece? Like Gideon. Remember the story of Gideon? God said, here, go over there and fight these, this army. And Gideon says, well, I want to make sure you're really telling me this. And so I'm going to lay out this fleece, this lamb's skin. And if there's dew on it, tomorrow I'll know this is a, a word from you. I'll know your will. Well, sure enough, the dew was on it. And the next day he said, well, let's do it again because I'm not quite sure. So this time if the thing is dry and the dew is all around the ground, then I'll know. So the next day, that's sure enough what happened. And he's still not sure. And God said, finally, just get moving, will you? And that's the way it is with us. You know, we try to manipulate. In our hearts, I truly believe that in our hearts, in most situations, you already have an inkling of what you ought to do. It's not an issue of not knowing. It's an issue of just not wanting to do it. I believe with all my heart because the Spirit of God lives in each one of us that has put their faith in Jesus Christ because God wants the best for you. God wants you to move forward in His His direction and guidance. That God isn't going to leave you there stranded. God isn't going to turn His back. God wants you and me to know He's not hiding from us. But I think God wants more than anything for you and me before anything is done to say, okay, Lord, here's what I thinking. Here's what I want. But Lord, I need your direction on this. And I need to know whether to move on it or not. Lord, I want to do whatever you want me to do. See, that's the key. Before you ever make a plan, you coming to him and saying, Lord, I want to do whatever you want me to do. And as you lead me through your spirit, I will do that. may not like it, But Lord, I believe that that will be the best place for me. See, it's not an issue of God hiding. It's an issue of us not listening. That's really our problem. I know that for me, and I don't think you're a whole lot different. In most cases, what I really want is just me to get my way. And a lot of times I've found myself praying that way. Here's what I'm going to do. Now you please bless it. And God says no. So these are the two reasons why we need to be asking and pursuing the guidance, asking for the guidance of the Lord. Number one, you can't predict the future. And so you need to go to the one who can. And secondly, your plans are usually based on sinful choices and will result in sinful decisions. That's just human nature. We're thinking of ourselves first. And so that's really where we mess up. So let's move now from this and continue on because I want to share with you this. Four myths concerning the will of God. These are things that are not true, but you and I oftentimes believe them. And maybe you do or don't, but just listen to it and see if there hasn't been at least some place in your life in the past 
a, a time when, yeah, you did put a lot of stock in this, this thought, this saying. Here's the first one. The first myth is this, that knowing God's will means knowing every step in advance. Now, see, you would be amazed at the number of people who really believe this, that if it's really me understanding what God's will is, then to understand that, I've got to know every step of what is going to happen in advance. Now, in a roundabout way, what we're basically saying to God is this. I want to know the plan from start to finish, and then we'll vote on it. <laughs> Yo, because that's really what happens most often. I want a say in this. This is why if it's really from you, and if it's really the will of God, then it has to be crystal clear and laid out there for me, and I never any question. Now, let me show you a verse or two. Just look at this, okay? In Psalms 119 and verse 105, that's a lot of numbers, but Psalms is, 119 is a big chapter. It says this, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Hmm. Now think about this, okay? Because the picture is this, because what the psalmist is saying is this, that your word, whether it's the written word or what you've, your spirit tells me to do. It is a light to my path, a lamp unto my feet. In other words, Lord, you don't shine down the whole path and tell me where I'm going. There could be bandits down there. There could be death lying down there. There could be pitfalls, wild animals. I'm walking along a path and it's pitch dark and I can't see the future. And your word serves as a lamp that lights up my feet where I'm walking. And all I can see is in the light the next step. It's all I can see is the next step. God is not saying to you and me, I'm going to tell you every detail of what's going to happen. I'm going to light it up for you and it'll be like a neon sign. This is the will of God. Take off. All I'm going to do is show you one step at a time. In Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, he says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us. Now basically what he's saying is this, that there's a lot of things that are hidden in life. They're secret and only God knows them and that's the way they stay. That belongs to him. Your future is one of those things that belongs to him. What he reveals to me then belongs to me. And what he reveals, at least of what I see in Scripture, is that God reveals to me the next step in the process of getting to his goal. And it's the next step that I have to take. And when I take the next step, the light goes with me and it lights up the next step for me to take along this path. The problem is we sit back sometimes as Christians and we say to God, I will take it as long as I know where it's going. We don't always know that. And God does not, uh, He's not obligated to tell us. You know, we think to ourselves, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if God gave to us a blueprint of our lives? That, say, for the next 10 years, in detail, tells us everything that's going to happen in our lives. Would you take it? Now, think about it. 
God says to you, I'm going to give you or show you the blueprint of your life for the next ten years with everything that is going to happen and where I want you to go and what you're going to do, understanding that you cannot change one thing. Nothing. It is sovereign plan of God. But I'll tell you in advance if you want to know. You say, yeah, I want to know that. So God reveals it to you. And you discover that in three years, you're going to lose your spouse. You're going to die of cancer. You discover that in another couple of years after that, you're going to get Alzheimer's. You discover a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. And what happens is this. Is that right now, today and tomorrow and the next day, you are so distraught over what you know in the future that you can't live today. I don't want to know the future. And I don't believe that God wants me to know it. But what I do believe is this, that God wants me to see the next step. And as the Spirit of God says to me, no, 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 don't, that's, don't go there. Go here. Then in faith I have to take the step. And I may not know what else lies ahead, but I know that. I believe that God has designed life to be lived one day at a time. One day at a time. Because if I get past that, I'm running down that path in the darkness without any direction. And I don't want to do that, neither does God want me to do that. You see, I take that next step and I move one step further to what I believe that God is leading me to do. And I don't know the whole picture. I'm just taking the next, the next step. And all of a sudden, my faith grows. And I become emboldened because I see, you know what? God can guide me through this. And one day I'll be down at the, way on down the path and having avoided a lot of pitfalls and a lot of danger and maybe experienced a lot too. But I'm much better off because I took it one day at a time and I walked with him. God is not going to show you every detail of your life in advance. God says to you, you have to trust me with the next step. Will you do that soon? Here's the second myth that I want to share with you, okay? This is the next myth that sometimes we believe, and that is this. That God wants you to be 100% sure before you make a decision. Now, this is looking at how certain you are, not so much that God reveals anything to you, but how certain you are that this is the right thing to do. Why is this a myth? Well, let me ask you this. How many of your decisions have you made in life that you were absolutely 100% sure that it was the right thing? Man, I've got to confess. If I'm, if I'm taking it one step at a time, one day at a time, and I'm trusting God to go before me and, and light the path and prepare the way, do whatever, then I've got to admit to you that there have been things in my life where I've made decisions based on that. All I see is the next step. And I'm not 100% sure that I'm hearing God right, and I'm not 100% confident that it necessarily is the right thing to do. But I do it anyway, based on what I do know and what I believe the Spirit is leading me to do. Because you see, here's the problem with that. If you and I wait until we are 100% sure that this is the will of God and no questions asked, then while we're waiting to be 100% sure 
we're paralyzed. We don't do anything. That's about as bad as getting it wrong. I've seen too many Christians who are sitting here waiting for God's direction and God's just screaming in the ear, take the next step. Oh, no, 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 I'm not sure. I'm not completely sure, and I want to be completely 100% sure. And 10 years from now, they're still sitting there saying the same thing. And God says you're not going to be 100% sure because that's why they call it faith. And you have got to step forward. After having sought me, after having praying, having prayed to me and seeking me and listening to me and talking to people that get a, you get advice from and, and just listening quietly, you know in your heart what the next step is. You're struggling with seeing the rest of the story and being absolutely sure, and that's not going to happen. So take the next step in faith. And then I'll show you the step after that. You're never going to be 100% sure. Let me take that burden off of you because I think sometimes we as Christians have been led to believe that if it's the will of God, you will know it absolutely beyond any shadow of a doubt. And I have gone through one, two, three, four different moves in my life going to seminary, Bible college, and several churches. And I can tell you without a doubt that I have never been 100% sure on any of those. But you pray, you ask for God's direction, believing that He wants to give it to you because He's not hiding from you. And then you listen to the Spirit of God and the moving in your spirit and what God is speaking to you in your spirit. And then you make the decision based on what you know. You make your best decision. Trusting God for the next step. And that's all you can do. Please don't be sitting back waiting on God to give you the blueprint to make you 100% sure before you act because that is not necessarily the way God does it. That does not mean that there hasn't been a time or two in our lives where, yeah, we were 100% sure. And that's a good thing. But more often than not, that's not the case. It's amazing how we can always look back in retrospect and we say, yeah, that was the right choice. You know, we weren't sure then, but we do know now. And that's a good thing too. Here's the third myth, if you will, that we fall into believing sometimes, and that is this. That God's highest goal in your, is in, in your life is your personal happiness. God's highest goal is your personal happiness. I'll let that sink in for a moment and I'll explain it. You see, you're going to struggle with this one. Because it is amazing how many of us as believers think that God is all about making his children happy. And that's what God's goal is. That God wants to make you happy because he loves you. Does he love you? Absolutely. Does God want to make you sad? No. Do you find yourself in sad situations in life? Absolutely. And the Bible teaches us that in the middle of all of the mess that life brings our way, that God, through His Holy Spirit, will bring into our lives joy and peace and love and all of these things, these emotional things that we value so much. 
But you see, here's the problem with thinking that it's God's goal to make you happy. It goes like this. Pastor, I believe that God wants me to be happy. My wife isn't making me happy. So I believe that it's God's will that I divorce her because ultimately God wants me to be happy. No, he doesn't. God wants you to be righteous. You see, Pastor, God wants me to be happy, so yeah, I'm going to go ahead and and, and buy the big house that I can't afford because God wants me to be happy. No, He doesn't. You see, God wants you to be righteous. And God's ultimate goal is not your happiness. That doesn't mean that He wants you to be sad. He just wants you to grow. God's ultimate goal for you and me is Christ-likeness. That God is determined to make you and me like His Son. To increase our faith. To make us bolder. To show us that He's there, that He wants to help, that He wants to guide, that He wants to direct. That His plan is best. All of the things that you and I need to know and understand as believers. But when we get off onto this belief that God's sitting up there doling out gifts and blessings just to make you happy, you misunderstand God. It's much bigger than that. And you can call it happiness or joy, ever how you want to term it, but it always comes as a result of obedience. When I obey Him and walk with Him, the byproduct is the joy, or we'll call it happiness for make it a little easier to understand. But you see, joy really is something that you have in the middle, even in the middle of a disaster. You know? I may not be happy that I lost my husband or my wife. I'm grieving. But I can't can't explain it, but in my spirit there is joy. See, that's different. You see? So don't fall into the trap of thinking. That personal happy, happiness is God's goal. Let me read you this, okay? I think most all, all of us here know who Corey Ten Boom is. Um, she's an author um, that, that lived back during World War II as a young girl. She's written a lot about her experience in concentration camps over in Germany. But this is an excerpt from one of her books. Now listen very carefully. She says, looking back across the years of my life, I can see the working of a divine pattern which is the way that God deals with His children. And she's saying, look, I can look back over my life as an old woman now sitting here, and I can see the hand of God, and I can see that there was a divine, God-orchestrated pattern to that. She said, when I was in a prison camp in Holland during the war, I often prayed, Lord, please never let the enemy put me in a concentration camp in Germany. She said, God answered no to that prayer. Yet in the German camp, with all its horror, I found many prisoners who had never heard of Jesus Christ. If God had not used my sister Betsy, who died there in the camp, by the way, had not used my sister Betsy and me to bring them to him, they would have never heard of him. Many people died or were killed, but many died with the name of Jesus on their lips. They were well worth all of our suffering. See, faith is like a radar. 
the radars which, a radar which sees through the fog, the reality of things at a distance that a human eye cannot see. Now what she's saying is this, I look back at this and I can see the hand of God in my life and I can see me and my sister Betsy sitting in a concentration camp that ultimately took her life and I can see us sharing Christ with people there and I can see the hand of God and I may not have understood it then but I understand now. Was I happy in a concentration camp? No. Can I see that it was the will of God for me? Yeah. And I gladly accept that. You see, so often we have to come to that conclusion that we don't just look at the circumstances and say, well, this must be the will of God because it's pleasant and this isn't because it's hard. And when we come to that understanding that God's ultimate goal is not to make me happy, God's ultimate goal is to change me and to transform me and to grow my faith and bring me closer to Him. Then I begin to understand that a lot of things in life, they have a purpose. And only God knows them. It's one of the hidden things that only He knows. But I trust Him anyway. Here's the fourth and final myth that we sometimes believe, and that is this. That the outcome or the result of this experience determines if it was really God's will. In other words, the outcome determines if it was God's will. Because you see, it's easy for, let's say, a a pastor to go to a big church and conclude that it's God's will because it's a a big church and it's growing and lots of things are happening. That was God's will. But another pastor goes to a small church where things don't grow and it's a struggle and that's not God's will. See the fallacy of that? Because we begin to gauge the will of God based on how things turn out. And we begin to distinguish between God's leading me and God wouldn't lead me over there because nothing good's going to come out of that. God's going to lead me over there where something good is going to result from that. You know, you look at the Apostle Paul and really all of the apostles, but especially Paul. In the New Testament, it talks about how he went in from city to city preaching the gospel. There was one incident in the book of Acts where God gives him a vision at night of a man in Macedonia saying, come over here and tell us. So Paul rightfully concluded that this is the will of God. God is leading me to do this and giving me this vision. So he proceeds to Macedonia, goes into the first city where he is promptly beaten and thrown in jail for preaching. Promptly the next morning, escorted to the city limits and told, don't ever come back. (laughs) Wait a minute, now did I hear God right? You know? Yeah, he heard God right. And from city to city, the same thing happened more often than not. And yet, the man turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. Sometimes we look at the result of what we've done or the result of what we're being asked to do, thinking what could possibly good could come out of this. And we begin to evaluate and we determine what the will of God is. And regardless of what God has led us to do in our spirit, we have passed judgment on it because the result was not what 
was expected to be. Therefore, God wasn't in it. You can't do that. The issue is always your obedience. It's not the result. The issue is, will you obey me? If this is where I want you to be, be it in a concentration camp or thrown in a prison in Philippi or wherever it may be, whatever I have ordained, this is my will, and I am telling you this one step at a time. Will you do it? That's the question. Will you go? And so we go in faith, taking the next step, knowing that it could be our last, but we go. And in that process, we grow in our faith. And in that process, the Spirit of God just overwhelms us with His fruit, the Bible talks about. And in the middle of a disaster, we find joy. In the middle of upheaval, we find peace. In the middle of all of this, Because you're in the will of God. That's the only reason. Because you're right in the middle of where He wants you to be. Guys, I can't tell you what the will of God is for your life. I can't tell you that. Nobody knows. That's one of the secret things that God has that are only God's. But God says, I will reveal it to you. Not the whole plan, but I'll reveal to you the next step. If you come to me. If you ask me, I'm not trying to hide it, he says. And so it comes down to this, that you and I have to pursue him. And we have to trust him. And we have to obey. I want to leave you with two little points of challenge real quickly. Here they are. Number one, if you are willing to follow Christ, he will lead you where he wants you to go. If you are willing... That's the key. Then I'm coming to you, Lord, and I'm saying, okay, show me the next step. I want to take it. I'm willing to go wherever you want me to be. And I don't know what's at the end of this path, but I'm going because you're leading me. I'm going to take it. If you're willing to do that, then God opens up the way. The Bible says he goes before you and he makes your path straight. He guides, he leads every step of the way. But you have to do this. You have to relinquish control. You have to give up control. Because you and I have this natural tendency to want to control every detail. I want to ask you to do something. Every morning when you get up, before you go do anything that day, here's what I want you to do, and it won't take long, but if you get into the habit of doing this, it'll pay off. I want you to go before the Lord in prayer. And just a simple little prayer goes something like this. Every morning, I want you to give that day to the Lord. Okay, Lord, this is your day. Tomorrow I'll give you that day. But right now, all I'm giving you is just this day. That's all I have to give. And so, Lord, you lead me. You light up my path today. And if you want me to go and work very hard at work and get a lot of work done, that's what you lead me to do, then so be it. If you want me to go sit beside somebody and cry with them, then so be it. If you want me to do whatever, then, Lord, so be it. One step at a time today, you and me, on the path. And that's all that you can do. But it means you have to relinquish the control. And you've got to be willing to let that go. Here's the second thing that I want to challenge you to do is, is this. God's will is a journey, 
not a destination. Come to grips with this, okay? God's will for you is a journey. That means there's a process here. God is doing something in you as you move down the path. That to him is of great value. God doesn't just want to accomplish something. If he did, hey, go do that and be done with it. See, it's the process. It's the process of taking you down the path one step at a time and watching you grow and mature and change. And you and I have got to come to grips with that and understand that because here's what I'm asking you to do. If God's will is a process, then enjoy the process. Okay? Stop worrying about the future and enjoy the process. Because it's exciting. It really is. It's an exciting process. And the second thing that I want you to do under this heading of enjoying the journey is to get to know Him. Get to know Him. Because, see, to God, that is more important than accomplishing something. God is more interested in you getting to know Him and growing. That's my challenge to you as we bring this message to a close. Trust Him, folks. Trust Him. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow before you this morning, Father, we are humbled by the fact that we don't know the future. We don't sometimes even know if we're doing what you would have us to be doing. But Father, we proceed ahead one step at a time, one day at a time, in faith, believing. Father, my prayer for this congregation of people is that we, as a congregation, as individuals here in this church, that, Father, we would listen and that, Holy, that your Holy Spirit in a side of us, as you have told us it is there, that the Holy Spirit would quicken our spirit, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that you would lead us and move us and encourage us, and that we would take that next step in faith, understanding that that's all you've shown but that's okay. We'll take that one. And Father, believing with all of our heart that you'll give us the next one. But Father, may we do your will, not ours, but yours. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.